Democratic Party delivered for you? We're gonna talk about that in this episode of the conversation. Joining me is Sherwin Azami, he's running against the Democratic incumbent in California 32. He's got a strong opinion on that. So Sherwin, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Jane, great to be with you. No problem. So in California 32, we have Brad Sherman, who is Democratic incumbent. I hear from mainstream media all the time, good enough. Uh, so he votes with the Democratic agenda most of the time. Um, why would we need a change, they would ask. So Sherwin, uh, why do we need to change? Great question, Jank. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's a clear pleasure to be with you and with your audience. Look, it, it boils down to, you know, in the, the 26 years that Congressman Sherman has repped uh, our district, the San Fernando Valley, my hometown, uh, the area that uh, is ground zero for so many crises, including our climate crisis and our homelessness crises. Our district is the site of the worst natural gas blowout in US history. Uh, happened at a site called Aliso Canyon back in 2015. Over 109,000 metric tons of methane dumped into the air. Uh, and not only have we not seen that site close down, in fact, we've seen methane storage increase at the site. We're also ground zero for homelessness, where we have over at least 44,000 unhoused neighbors in the city of Los Angeles. Uh, roughly a fifth of them live in the San Fernando Valley, which comprises the bulk of our district. Uh, and there's been zero action by the congressman on addressing these issues. And I think what's most apparent to me uh, is that Sherman chairs the very subcommittee uh, on financial services, the investor protection subcommittee that has jurisdiction over our federal housing finance laws, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and over authorizing new affordable housing programs. And all he's done in that position is take legal bribes from Wall Street corporate landlords like BlackRock and Blackstone. The same institutional investors that are responsible for the fact that two thirds of apartment complexes here in LA are owned by Wall Street firms. And working class, middle class folks are continuing to be priced out of this basic survival need. Everyone needs housing and I firmly believe that housing is an inherent human right. And what I am sick and tired of, what voters are sick and tired of are legislators that give lip service to important working class issues, single payer Medicare for all, a green new deal, a humanitarian immigration system, living wages, union rights, give lip service to these things while they are actively financed by the very corporations working against passage of these bills. And Congressman Sherman has over 4 million on hand from Wall Street banks, weapons manufacturers, payday lenders, private equity firms, you name it. So taking money from the very industries he's supposed to be overseeing as our legislator on the committees like foreign affairs and financial services and has not championed these things. Instead, he continues voting for ever increasing military industrial complex budgets, continues voting for more endless wars and continues barreling us towards these crises as opposed to being the champion we need. I'm someone who worked on Capitol Hill, legislative director for the only national indigenous healthcare nonprofit. And I'm proud to say I got more bills passed in two years as an advocate than Sherman has in 26 as a legislator. So it goes down to advocacy and being an unapologetic corporate free progressive advocate for the bills we know we could achieve if it was not for political cowardice and corporate greed. Sherwin also, by the way, endorsed by brand new Congress and Senator Nina Turner. So clearly on the progressive side of the Democratic spectrum here, and you can tell from what he just said. So Sherwin, 
again, mainstream media would be skeptical and say, are you saying that taking money from corporations that benefit from higher housing prices, not lower housing prices, is affecting Brad Sherman's votes? That the taking the huge amount of money he has taken from those corporate landlords might affect his votes? Do we think that members of Congress and their spouses owning and trading stocks impact their votes? I believe the answer is yes, and I know millions of Americans know the answer is yes. You know, I think a great example here in California. You know, we have a Democratic supermajority, and the California Democratic Party has adopted Medicare for all, universal health care, as part of its platform. And we had a bill here, AB 1400, to enact single payer for all Californians, documented or undocumented. We had county Democratic parties that were endorsing the bill. We had a strong show of support within the legislature. Yet it was pulled at the last minute after it passed the Appropriations Committee, after it passed the Health Committee. It was pulled on the floor of the State Assembly before it was brought up to a vote. And that's because of the power of corporatists. Uh, who continue to stranglehold the system here. And so it demonstrates that we, in, in the moment that we are in, uh, the American people are waking up and understanding that just having the D next to your name, just being the blue uh, Democrat, does not make you a champion for the working class, does not make you a champion for progressive policy. Uh, it's actually doing the work, being an advocate. Uh, organizing within your communities, uh, pressuring legislators to do their job, stand by their campaign promises, divest from the institutions that are working against these important progressive priorities, and actually stand with the American people and deliver uh, on these bills that have broad uh, bipartisan support. Uh, again and again, we see obstructionists, uh, those who are very loud uh, and those who are more subtle. Uh, acting against the will of the American people, and I'm tired of it, and I know everyone in our district is tired of it as well. Sherwin, tough question for you. Um, when, uh, if you were in Congress and um, the Build Back Better went down the way that it did, and voting rights went down the way that it did, uh, where they voted for it in the House, and Brad Sherman would say, "What? What? What? I voted for it. What? What else you want from me?" And then he gets killed in the Senate by a mansion in cinema. What would you have done as a congressman from that district? Yeah, that's a great question. I think first and foremost, holding pressure on our own US senators, currently whom only one has come out and given a full-throated support for abolition of the filibuster, the Jim Crow relic filibuster. But at the same time, Congressman Sherman, what's really disturbing was last fall, there was a public gathering here in the district that both he and I attended. And I asked him point blank in that public meeting, will you join progressives in withholding your vote on infrastructure in the absence of a secure deal, not a pinky promise, a secure deal on Build Back Better? His response almost verbatim was, I'll vote for the bill that comes to the floor. I'll basically do what the Democratic Party tells me, I'll do what leadership tells me. That's not representation. So actually being an advocate and saying, no, we should not pass infrastructure, which had 25 billion in more subsidies for the fossil fuel industry for these completely milk toast and ineffective policies like a carbon tax, like fossil hydrogen that further entrench the industry. Why are we allowing this giveaway to go out when Build Back Better 
the uh, piece of legislation that will actually tangibly improve uh, the American people's lives now, not five years from now, but now through universal child care, through paid family leave, through an extension of the child tax credit, housing funds, climate funds, and so much more. Why is that not our main priority? Why, why are we doing this exchange that's not actually delivering for the American people? Uh, we knew before uh, progressives let up and said, fine, we'll pass infrastructure. We knew that Manchin and Cinema were obstructionists. We saw what Cinema had done on prescription drug pricing. After voting no the very next day, went into a backroom uh, uh, meeting with uh, big farm executives and took max checks from them. I mean, it's just bold face corruption. And we're saying, well, it might be different this time. I mean, look, the actions are clear. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, hearing someone like Sherman say that I'm just going to do what other Democrats tell me, that's not the representation that voters here deserve, and that I know that we need uh, to actually address the crises before us. So the website is SherwinForCongress.com. SherwinForCongress.com with the number four, but we'll have the link down below too, and you see it there. So Sherwin, the a Democratic Party says, but no, don't fight. Uh, don't fight within the party. Uh, primaries are no good. They take money away from the beloved incumbents. Uh, and don't fight um, against Mansion and Cinema uh, because it'll cost us their votes on other things. Uh, that civility within the party is the most important thing and civility overall. And of course, the LA Times and everybody in mainstream media agrees with them, the beloved civility. So what's your argument for fighting? Why would we have civility when eight out of 10 Americans are living paycheck to paycheck? When rent is unaffordable anywhere on minimum wage? When we have a Congress that is perfectly fine to give 52% of our annual discretionary budget to the Pentagon for endless foreign wars? When we give another 277 billion for militarized policing and incarceration while we have at least half a million people living on our streets on any given night? When we're barreling towards climate catastrophe, and we have so many communities, including here in California, that live within close proximity of these fossil fuel sites that are breathing in these noxious chemicals every single day. People who are not able to access reproductive rights. We have, I don't know, over 30 states that have enacted anti-trans bills over the past year. One of the deadliest years in US history for our trans community. All these issues piling up, and we're saying civility? Over protecting the American people, there is no civility when millions of our brethren, people in our own country, are suffering. We are not in a moment right now where we could just lay back and sing our own praises. Now is a time for bold, unapologetic action. We need to demonstrate that we need to protect and empower our democracy and reckon with our sordid legacy and finally establish a future where no one's zip code dictates their ability to survive. What I firmly believe is that here in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, poverty is a policy choice and our budgets are moral documents. And I'm fighting for budgets that invest in our communities, in clean air and water, in universal health care, in housing as a human right, in living wages, union rights, reproductive rights, the things that actually keep us safe. And civility be damned in that situation. Well. Uh, I like that kind of talk. My guess is the audience likes that kind of talk. Progressives like that kind of talk. The LA Times will hate that kind of talk. They would much rather have Brad Sherman surrender over and over again and get 
absolutely nothing done, they would be thrilled with that outcome. So defy the establishment, vote for progressives. Sherwin Azami is one of them. Sherwin, thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Thank you for having me, pleasure to be here. Absolutely. All right, how do we liberate women, not just in foreign countries, but here in America? Well, one way to do is financial liberation, and we have the perfect expert to talk about it. Nicole Lappin is a New York Times bestselling author, and she's got a new book out called Miss Independent, a simple 12-step plan to start investing and grow your own wealth. I love it, I wanna grow my own wealth. Nicole, how you doing? Who doesn't? I'm doing well, thanks, how are you? <laughs> Fantastic, all right, so this is, this of course can apply to everyone, but directed mainly to women, it's Miss Independent, right? So tell us why. I think that men don't know more about money, they just talk about it much more confidently. And I think it's time to open up this dialogue. And with any taboo topic, I think money is the last one we have, somebody has to go first. So I go first. And I think you're right, financial literacy is the X factor between changing the gender wage gap, the gender pay gap. I think financial literacy is at the core of fixing a lot of our big macroeconomic problems. So Nicole, the reason I like your books is because um, we all have two jobs, right? We have our regular job and then the job of managing our money. Now we could do it poorly by not managing it or we could do it well. And how much of a difference does that make in people's lives and their ability to basically liberate themselves if they do their second job, which is managing their wealth? It makes all the difference. I didn't come from money, as you know. I figured out in the school of hard knocks how to make my own money and make it work for me. And honestly, if I could do it, anyone can do it. I'm not sitting in front of stock charts all day long. You don't need a lot of money to make a lot of money. You need the most time possible. And as far as I'm concerned, today is as good a day as any. You're never as young as you are today to take advantage of that beautiful, amazing force of compound interest that Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world. You know, as you know, the force of compound interest has so often been used against against us in the financial system. So with credit cards and mortgages, you can use that very same power and use it in your favor to make your money work for you. I mean, we work so hard for our money, it's time as far as I'm concerned it return the favor. Yeah, that's such a good point because anyone who's had to pay off credit card debt and seen that interest rate pile up against them knows the power of interest, right? Why not make it work on your behalf? So how would people do that, Nicole? Yeah, so instead of being a customer of the system, you become an owner of the system. And you don't need a lot of money to start. I would start with low cost, low risk investments. Warren Buffett, one of the greatest investors of our time, said the best investment Americans can make are low cost S&P 500 index funds. And that's just tracking the market. A lot of folks say they're gonna beat the market. A lot of folks say that they have get rich quick schemes or plans. That's just not the case. I like my money very boring and growing for me. And so low cost S&P 500 index funds, if you put, let's say, 100 bucks in at 25, by the time you retire, you have a million bucks. But if you wait 10 years and you start at 35, you would have 300 grand. Now, 300 grand is a lot of money, but it's not a million bucks. So that's 700 grand that you missed out just in those 10 years because of that power of compound interest. So hold up, hold up, let's go back, <laughs> okay. Did you say $100? A hundred bucks, I'm not talking about a lot of money. Yeah, a hundred bucks a month, that's $12,000 difference between the age of 25 and 35. And if you allow that to grow where your interest is making money for you, basically your money is making you more money while you are doing nothing, while you are sleeping. So 
I'm here for that. Yeah, well, the reason I like it is because you could do it with any amount of money, and you so you don't have to be rich to do it. And this is how rich folks get even richer. So why not copy them? <laughs> I agree. Right. I agree. We tell ourselves a lot of stories, as you know, Jake. It's I don't know math. I don't have enough money. I don't come from money. Well, I didn't come from money either. And you don't need that. These are all stories we're telling ourselves. And you know, math, the math a fifth grader can do. It's the humanities part. It's all this stuff. The mean girl, the mean guy inside our heads that gets in our way. Yes, and Nicole knows a lot about this. She was an anchor on CNN, CNBC, Bloomberg, CW, CBS. She's got a show on iHeartRadio called Money Money Rehab with Nicole Lappin as well. All right, so Nicole, since you're an expert on this, and I know you've got an easy formula, because one of the things that folks struggle with is, yes, but how much money should I put in to investments? I got a lot of bills as it is. So tell us about the three E's and what percentage of your money should go where. Yeah, so I love alliteration, it makes it easier. Essentials, end game, and extras is how I break down the money that you're taking in. So 70% should go to the essentials. So your food, your housing, your transportation, all that stuff. 15% should go to the extras. You know, it drives me crazy when so-called financial experts say to cut out the morning latte. I think you absolutely have to have small indulgences or you'll end up binging later on. And then 15% to the end game, so your future self. So your investments, your retirement. Uh, your savings. And so when you have that 15%, if you can't do 15%, I totally get it. Do 1%, do $10, $100, whatever it is. Uh, a little bit is better than nothing at all. And take that and put it through direct deposit. We know this concept, of course, through bill paying. And I would do the same thing for paying yourself, because that's really what you're doing. Change your mindset from this place of deprivation to a place of aspiration and that you're not spending more bills. I mean, Lord knows we don't need more bills, but think of it as an investment in yourself, your future self. So Nicole, you talked about your future self a couple of times there. That's a really interesting concept. I never thought about it that way. So when you put that money away, you're Basically, if I did it, I'd be paying my future self. So I'm still paying me, right? But it's yeah. it's it's for later. And the magic of it, as you point out, and it really is borderline magic, the way compounding interest works, is that if I pay myself a hundred bucks today, as you pointed out earlier, well, not today, because I'm way past 25. <laughs> okay, but you might get a million bucks later. So it's, I guess, is a way of looking at it. Hey, if I if I put this away later, I am going to get this magically two times more, four times more, etc. Depending on when you put it in. Yeah, you know who said, "I'm so glad I didn't invest earlier," or "I'm so glad I didn't invest in my 20s or 30s or yesterday." No one. No one in the history of the world has ever been glad they didn't invest earlier. So again, because of that idea of compound interest, you don't need a lot of money to have it work for you. So I would start 
today. Uh, it doesn't need to be fancy. Uh, you can set up a brokerage account, anyone will do. I don't advocate one particular one. Uh, but these are tools that you know, money is a tool. It can be used for good, it can be evil. So it's about taking back the control. In this financial system, that's so confusing. And I think that it doesn't need to be that way. Look, if you went to a different country and you didn't speak that language, you'd be really confused. If you went to Wall Street and you don't speak the language, you'd be confused until of course you speak the language and then you realize it's a language like anything else and it's not that complicated. So I think we've oftentimes been felt like we were out of the system because we don't know the language because we're I didn't come from a rich family. And so it's out of my reach. Well, it's not it's only out of your reach if you don't reach for it. Yeah, and guys, it really is simple. I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. But I know when I did it, you go to a bank and you say an index fund that just means you're investing in the market. Oh, they say, oh, okay, there's a bunch of them. Which one do you want? You go, I don't know. You tell me, right? And they and index funds are really, really simple. So you don't have to be a genius to figure out, oh, is Johnson and Johnson going to go up or down? And the market has has done spectacularly well over the course of time, and that's why your money would have compounded. But you mentioned something interesting there, Nicole, taking back control. And I mentioned liberation in the beginning. The title of the book is Miss Independent. So. Tell us about how this could affect you in the real world in taking control of your life. Well, you talk about inflation, right? Inflation has gone bananas. Typically, inflation is about 3%. So if you're leaving your money in a checking account, which a lot of women do, and a lot of women in particular are risk averse, and that's okay, we just have to confront it. You're actually losing money if you do that. Because what are you making in a checking account, Jank? It's what? 0.01% or something like that. It's, so if yeah, inflation is growing, at 3%, right now it's 6 or 7%, but normally you're gonna lose your purchasing power. So you're actually losing money by doing that. Yeah, and so that, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the big banks pay you almost nothing. So with inflation, by putting your money in the bank, you're actually losing it, a certain percentage of it rather than gaining it. That makes perfect sense. But you know, you, I've seen you talk about, um, you know, women who are also in difficult situations. And it's, and so, if you don't have control over your financial life, it's a little bit harder to take control over the rest of your life, right? I think that's right. I think a lot of women unfortunately stay in abusive relationships or toxic relationships or toxic jobs for that matter because they're too scared of supporting themselves. And you know, I think that money allows you to have the freedom of choice to leave that crappy job or relationship because you are too scared you won't have the money or basic financial know how to do it. And I like to approach this with a combination of forgiveness and tough love. So forgive your former self for what he or she didn't know. They did the best they could with the information they had. But moving forward, now that you have more information, it's not okay moving forward. And here's the thing, information isn't power. There's so much information, forget about my four books and six more on the way. and. You know, podcasts up the wazoo and TV shows. There's so much knowledge out there. It's action that's the real power. Oh, that's a great way of putting it too. Um, and I, I didn't know we were going to go to you know ghosts of Christmas past and future and present. Uh, but but I like what you're saying because I really would like to forgive my former self, and I'd really like to give a gift to my future self. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good way of thinking about it. Well, one thing left, Nicole, you mentioned the word binge too earlier because I think, and me included, a lot of folks think like, I know, but I really want to go to Denny's, <laughs> and I and I I know I can make the sandwich at home, 
but but moves over Miami, it's so delicious. Can't I have it? Do I always have to be in control? So I like to think of financial habits as existing somewhere between thinking you're gonna live forever and thinking you're gonna die tomorrow. Uh, oftentimes, the worst financial habits come from hanging out in either extreme. And neither extreme is really good if you think about that. You can't um, not buy anything for yourself. That's why we work so hard, that's why we live, right? We can't live in this scarcity, like apocalyptic mentality. And also, it's bad to binge and and all these other practices that maybe came from your family. A lot of this stuff comes from how we were raised. You know, I'm a first generation American immigrant family, never talked about money around the kitchen table, didn't have the Wall Street Journal, like just talked about cash. And, you know, I didn't think that I could be part of a system as being an owner, as somebody who could take back control until I changed my mindset around it. You know, I think that financial dieting, so to speak, is a lot like regular dieting. If you allow yourself small indulgences, you won't end up binging later on. I don't know if you've been on a crash diet, but those suck. And and you'll end up wanting to nosh on the first chocolate cake you see instead of giving yourself small Hershey's kisses or pieces of chocolate along the way. And the same idea goes for financial budgeting. Budgeting sucks, but so does being broke. I have been broke and that sucks more. Yeah, I relate to everything you're saying. Have I gone on crash diets? What do you think? Look at me. Uh, <laughs> did it end well? Look at me. Okay. <laughs> and and then I got the immigrant parents, and so uh, it, it's it it was like kind of offensive to talk about money. Shh, don't talk about money. Don't talk about money. well. Then where the hell am I supposed to learn it? Right. Right. Well, well, good news, you can learn it in Nicole's book, Miss Independent, a simple 12-step plan to start investing and grow your own wealth. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us, really appreciate it. Great to see you.